Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Bijan Berahimi, editor of June, which he describes as a sort of love letter to Portland. Bijan runs Fisk Design Studio and Gallery in Portland, and the magazine is a collaboration between Fisk and Brown Printing, one of the city's printing companies. And you can really see that they're using it to show off the stuff that they can do. It's an absolutely gorgeous piece of print with lovely bright colours and loads of different paper types and glosses and foils and finishes. But it's also a really readable magazine with a lovely warm feeling of community and some genuinely surprising storytelling. I'm very pleased to say we have copies available in the stack shop. So if you find yourself wanting to see some of those gorgeous spreads for yourself, go find it at stackmagazines.com forward slash shop. Uh, Just search for June. That's J-O-O-N. And you should find it in there. And in the meantime, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Bijan sharing his thoughts on why they do the stuff they do. Okay, Bijan, thank you so much for making the time to talk. Of course, happy to be here. So I'm going to say that you are the man behind the world's most extraordinary city magazine, but I've got a feeling that there is a bit more going on than that with June. So maybe you could start by telling me what is this magazine and how did you find yourself making it? Um, yeah, so the magazine June, um, it's it's kind of a love letter to Portland, um, as you kind of mentioned, that's focused on the city. Um, but I moved to Portland seven years ago from mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles. I lived, uh, I grew up outside of LA, went to school there, and needed a change of scenery, and wanted to stay on the West Coast, close to my parents. So Portland um, was one of few options, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied graphic graphic design, so there's only a few cities in the country that I feel like would be a good city for a young designer to move to to try to get a job Mm -hmm. like New York San Francisco LA um, Portland feels like top five to me Um, the pace of life here is really nice and I think um, what I really liked about Portland is it's so different than where I grew up I think it's like a really interesting thing that people often are attracted to the opposite of what they're used to Um, I think people are attracted to other cultures um, because they're different than theirs. And Portland was very much felt like an extreme, uh, extreme contrast to LA. I, I didn't really know. This is kind of what I always tell people. But growing up in LA, I didn't know walking was a viable form of transportation. <laughs> and until I moved to Portland, where I was like, "Wow, you can like live in a house or an apartment and walk to the bar, walk to your coffee shop, walk to the grocery store." Like that wasn't really concept to me that I was familiar with. Even like yeah and i hope like these don't sound too naive but i i think they're they're really true for me like i never experienced like fall like i i never saw leaves fall from a tree growing up in la just because there's not really a seasonal shift in los angeles so there was a lot of things that i was experiencing for the first time in portland that i was like so excited about just like a really curious person in general and i think like was just constantly on the daily like blown away by all these things um, that Portland had to offer. Of course, there was like a lot of things I didn't like, and 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 those two simultaneously, the things I liked and the things I didn't like, has kind of driven me to create this practice that I have now, and driven me to start June. Um, so June is very much like a love letter, but it's also a criticism of the city and and kind of putting things into action that I want to see be different in the city. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, and, and, and just as my background, I mean, I'm primarily a graphic designer. I'm not a publisher, an editor, or a writer. Um, I don't really know much about magazines. Um, my day-to-day life is really in art and graphic design. My, my day-to-day practice is split like with a commercial graphic design studio, and then we've also been running an art gallery for the past um, six years. Um, so magazine world is, is kind of new to me. So, so how do you cope with that then? How, you know, when you're, so you clearly feel that you can handle the graphic design side of things, but then how do you go about editing and doing all the other things you need to do to make a magazine? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a huge learning experience for us because I knew that we could do the graphic design part of it. Um, but the, the editorial, the writing, the contributor aspect, the kind of organ, organizing and infrastructure that goes into a magazine was very new. The budgeting and how to work with people, um, you know, like we creative directed all the sections in the magazine. That was a whole new thing. Um, I think the, the writing aspect is something that is, is really important to me and I think an area that I can improve on more with the second issue just because the working with writing um, was so new, new to me and I'm still learning a lot about it. And there's like, you know, a lot of people say graphic designers don't read. And, and I think that is partially true, um, that we're often just looking at the page as an image and not reading the text. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my girlfriend's a copywriter and she's pointed this out to me a few times. Um, <laughs> and she was actually a really big part of the magazine. She was the, the editor for the magazine and really helped make sure that we were like following, um, following some, 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 guidelines and making sure that the copy was um like as professional as it can be and making sure that there's consistencies and some systems so she really brought like organizational level to the writing side of it which i'm like very indebted to um for me the easy part was like finding people that i love that i want to showcase that i want to photograph that i want to feature that i want to share with the world and the writing thing um i think like I said, I, I really I have some aspirations to improve on for the next issue, but it was really just reaching out to friends who I knew were interested in subjects and topics uh-huh. and kind of giving, I would say 80% of the magazine is people who aren't trained traditional writers who are writing and interviewing people. So uh, in that way, it's like not a traditional magazine by any means. Just there's a lot of people who is their first time doing yeah. an article. Yeah, and, and I think that really helps with generating a sense of community in there as well because you've got people who clearly are not in a traditional journalist subject relationship there you know there are people with skin in the game here so how do you go about choosing those people and those stories that you want to tell yeah i mean that was a really fun opportunity because it was a i wanted the magazine from the ground up to be something that i was really proud of and and, and work with people that i knew would be really interested in it and i think it's a pretty unique opportunity where there's these multiple layers and levels um that a magazine offers in the sense that like when you're doing a feature you're working with a photographer you're working with a stylist you're working with um you know a lighting person or retoucher or whatever art director then you're working with you know the actual talent or the feature the person that you're sharing their story and then you're having the writer. So there's so many components to it. And I really wanted every piece of that puzzle to be considered mm. and, and people who I knew would be interested in that subject matter. So every person that I picked was very intentional, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's a friend that I knew was interested in food that would you know be really interested in, in interviewing this person or people who I knew um, were friends in our community and were social, but had never had a chance to properly collaborate on something so it was a way to kind of create this platform um 
for friends, for people who, um, you know, weren't necessarily introduced to certain parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's really the, like the main goal of the magazine was to like create a platform, a professional platform, like a platform that can be like presented in London. Like the fact that you care about this project is, was the goal because it's like the idea is to put Portland on the map and really share some parts of the city um, that I think people should know about. Um, and I think also, of course, to find some commonality between a lot of the day-to-day, you know, aspects, whether it's um, with gentrification, there's, you know, so many parallels between Portland and London and mm-hmm. New York and mm-hmm. Tokyo. Like there's, you know, a lot of these things I was hoping to be relatable. And it's an interesting topic when we talk to people, uh, when we're trying to distribute the magazine in Europe or Asia, you know, often comes up like, oh, this is a magazine about, about Portland. Why would we want to sell this in London? And mm. The goal was really to make this magazine about Portland, but really for it to be relevant anywhere. That that was our goal. And so (laughs) I guess there are some ways you could do that, which makes life a bit easier for yourself. And then there's some ways you can go about doing that, which makes life way harder for yourself. So the first feature in the magazine is a piece on a memorial home in Portland. And it's an amazing feature. It looks completely gorgeous and it's really interesting. But... Man, why start with a memorial home? If you're th- if you're thinking like I've got to sell this to London news agents, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so <laughs> so I, the way I've like talked about the magazine is it's really like just a a day in the life of how I live, um, my day to day, and even though I am a graphic designer and I'm in the creative industry in Portland, and a lot of our friends are creative, I'm not just interested in graphic design, you know, and I'm sure the reason why you're interested in magazines is because you know what we choose to do with our day to day work it's a great vehicle for us to kind of, um, to kind of pique our other interests. Mm, mm. And, and, and that's really how I saw the magazine. It was really important for me to not make a graphic design magazine about graphic design. Mm -hmm. My goal was to like make a graphic design magazine about the life that I enjoy, which is, you know, I love food. I love this memorial home. And, and, and it's, it was a really uh, great experience for me. Um, the first time I went to that memorial home, it's only open on Memorial day every year to the public. Otherwise it's only open to, to families who have, mm-hmm. um, you know, deceased uh, family there. Um, and, and my girlfriend, Abby, um, you know, one, one weekend she was like, hey, the, it's Memorial Weekend. Like, do you want to go to this, this uh, funeral home that I really like? And I was like, what? Like, that's like a weird <laughs> thing to, like, to be like as a, as a date. You know, this is like maybe six months into us dating. And I was like, okay, like, I guess I'll go. And and I went and, and I think it has a really beautiful story and a beautiful history. It's a really unique space, but I think, you know, Portland really lacks a lot of cultural institutions that a city like London or New York or Tokyo has. And we don't really have a ton of, you know, old museums and old architecture and places that really have these legacies. So, you know, we're kind of forced to find these, these, these museum ideas in places that aren't traditional museums and, and going mm-hmm. to this memorial home, it was going, it felt like going to the Smithsonian or going to a natural history museum. Like it was on that level, even though it wasn't a museum mm-hmm. that from a design point of view, from an architect, architecture point of view, interior design, I mean, materials, textures, lighting, stained glass. It's like, there's just so many factors of this memorial home, Wilhelm's, um, that, that were just, I was obsessed with when I went because mm-hmm. of my background, because I'm interested in, you know, architecture and art history and things like that. And most of the people I talked to in Portland have never heard of this memorial home, you know, who live in this city. It's not like it's like a really extremely popular thing. 
Mm. Um, so our goal was to share that within the city um, as like a cultural institution in a way, not, you know, not to go, you know, I mean, of course, it's attached to the idea it's a memorial home, but really from a visual point of view, that this was something of interest and something that people should look into. And I guess, you know, the reason why we, we wanted to share it is, you know, maybe there's places like this in London that people aren't looking at. You know, you have so many great museums there, but maybe there are some memorial homes or mausoleums that have a really rich history and legacy that could be of interest to people. And I think um, with the with the internet and all these things, like not, sometimes those places don't come to light. Sure, so sure, um, sure. we're really trying to like deep, deep, do a deep dive and, and share some weird things with people. And also the, I mean, so there are some artists in there who you would say like, you know, they are like straight up just uh, uh, like an artist who you would commonly expect to find in a magazine like this. But there are a bunch of people who aren't. So uh, I was particularly interested in James Enos, uh, who uh, is at the Portland Arts and Learning Studio. Um, and he's like a, um, a, a writer and illustrator who has created this amazing fantasy world of characters uh, and he's working with learning disabilities. So, so what, what was it that drew you to him? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, kind of a similar story, I guess, is like really just like find, being introduced to these places in Portland that I never heard of and really just being so impressed with it. So the Portland Art and Learning Studio is actually down the street from our office. Hmm. Um, and uh, the, the, one of the, the, the curator who was working there. Um, so basically it's this large warehouse space. I think they service about 150 mentally disabled adults who have, um, so they go there daily. Uh, they all have different kind of, um, different, everyone has a different kind of illness or a different, um, trouble that they're dealing with. But the, the main core of the purpose of that place is that, you know, they have a space to go to Monday through Friday. Um, that art can be therapy, it's giving them materials, resources, space to be able to make the art. And then it also gives them the platform to sell the art so they mm -hmm. can make an income. Um, so it's a really, it's a really great idea. And um, one of the curators came in uh, with a group of, of, of the adults that are there. Um, they came to look at, the, at one of the gallery shows we had. And he, he invited me to come do a, a visit of the whole space. And I went there and, you know, it's like 150 artists. It's this huge space. It's completely mind-blowing it's nothing it's like unlike anything i've ever seen and um you know i was really interested in a lot of the artists work there i purchased a few pieces from uh, various artists there but james work was like of most interest to me i think again like as a graphic designer he he makes these large books that are all handmade they're all like drawn on this like photocopy paper with like crayola markers he writes these really detailed stories on lined paper and he hand binds these books together and they're like they have booby traps in them some of them have like <laughs> 10 page fold outs they mm. have they're just like they're so complex and so unique and so amazing and, and and i think the thing that we wanted to showcase with james is that like you know anyone can be an artist it doesn't matter you know what um disabilities you have like we wanted to treat him like he was just another contributor um in in the issue and i and i think his art is as good as a lot of professional artists and mm. i think we wanted to kind of elevate him and and treat him you know that in this kind of like highly produced magazine because i think his work is that good um and i just like instantly became obsessed with that the books that he made and and, and i told the curator i was like how amazing would it be to try to recreate one of these books mm. um and so that was kind of the goal with that section was how do we not really do a ton and really like try to 
mimic the books that James is already making by hand in a, in a more consumer friendly way. The books are really hard to handle in person. They're just massive and they're really delicate. You know, they're like taped together and some pages fall out, some pages are stuck together. It's kind of a scary, it's scary to handle one of those books in person. And since, um, before we were, uh, about to publish the magazine, James' like work had been picked up by a few museums in New York. So now he's like working with a curator in New York, and I guess a few museums there have actually purchased his books for their archives. So I, you know, I, I think it's really um, it's a really beautiful thing that they're doing. You know that these mm-hmm. uh, that these adults have you know like bright futures ahead of them and can kind of. Uh, like play at the higher art level, you know. Um, uh, you mentioned the, um, the the sort of the challenge of uh, recreating his books in the magazine, and um, throughout the whole magazine, I think that y- you pay real attention to the physical objects, and so whether that is the finishes that you put on the paper or like little uh, sections which are kind of uh, cropped in, or like you've got some die cuts in there. I mean, it's sort of it's a bit of a giveaway that this is all a partnership with um, Brown Printing. So maybe you could talk a bit about the the importance of them in in this whole project. Yeah, so um, they are a print shop that I've been working with uh, maybe for the about about the last two or three years now. Um, they're like a family-owned business. Uh, that I think don't quote me on this, but I think they've been around for about 80 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think they're really great people and they've always been really kind to us and really supportive. And we worked together on another project called classic. Um, it's another magazine that we design, um, that some of our friends, uh, develop all the content and publish. Um, but we've been working with them closely on that and we've, um, done some kind of interesting printing techniques in that magazine as well. And that kind of gave me, you know, my whole education on how to run a magazine. I think a lot of those people who are running cool classic, it was also their first time doing a magazine. So I think it's, it's not really in a traditional sense at all, but we have always worked really closely with Brown on that project and other projects. And, you know, they're, they're kind of maybe the third or fourth, um, uh, biggest printer in Portland. And, um, last year, Randy, the co-owner reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, would you want to make some sort of promotional, promotional product for a print shop which is you know a traditional thing that print shops do they'll make a really you know great set of prints or a poster or you know christmas wrapping holiday paper and you know we'll kind of distribute it to their clients as a promotional tool Mm -hmm. and um so randy just said you know we want something that showcases all of the different printing techniques that we can do so for me i'm always like these are the opportunities that i'm always like all right i'm gonna try to do something really crazy and like try to like kind of you know take some of the ideas that i've been thinking about in my head which i'm always thinking of like a dozen or two ideas and and just just see kind of what i could utilize this opportunity and how it could benefit both of us so i kind of put together a presentation of you know three or four different ideas and one of them was creating a magazine for portland you know i pitched it to them in that sense um and i i really i guess the thing that was important to me and and that i was like really uh blunt with them about was like I really dislike it when people make print specimens that that have no content or fake content. Like it's always seems like a waste of printing to me when like someone makes like this print specimen and it's just like copy and pasted from Wikipedia. <laughs> um, like I, I always like it just feels like it's a waste of printing. Really, totally. like why not make yeah. something that's also that's also a promotional piece but also functions. Mm. And that was kind of how I sold this project to them. And and, and Randy like fully understood understood it from the start and was really excited about the idea and. 
And I kept being like, Randy, are you sure? Like, I'm talking about like a 150 page magazine. Like, th- <laughs> and this isn't like a full down poster. Like, this is like a larger commitment. And, and I was like really scared throughout the whole process, especially as we started doing photo shoots and especially as we started interviewing people. I was like, I hope that this goes through. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it didn't just and, 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 and he, and he did, he did come through and, and he was, they were really great about the whole process. They really didn't limit us with w- what techniques we wanted to show. They sent me a list of like different printing techniques that they could do. And I was like, all right, die cut. All right. Fold outs, uh, gate folds. Let's do spot gloss. Let's do a clear foil. Let's use these papers. Um, so they were really collaborative from the start and really supportive. And I think it's like, we need more people like this who are willing to invest in the community and the mm, culture. And, mm. and, and, and it was essentially an equal investment for both of us. They kind of, they paid for the printing, we paid for all of the content. So it was really important to me to be paying the writers, pay mm-hmm. the photographers, pay the stylists. So we had, you know, we didn't have massive budgets, but it was important for me to have a budget for each feature that we did make sure everyone's paid, you know, a decent rate. Um, and kind of also have skin in the game, you know, similar to Brown, like, um, you know, if they're paying for the printing, like we should be paying for something too. And I wanted the content to be as good as it could be. And I think uh, I'm not really interested in people doing stuff for free, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah sure, sure. I, I, I think one of my favorite bits of the whole magazine, I've got to tell you, because I hope the print guys will appreciate this, but the the print index at the back is just mm-hmm. glorious. Like, for every single section, you've listed all the papers used, the finishes, the inks, even the fonts that you've used in the stories. I, I just think that like that level of attention to detail is is awesome. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was a really fun, fun thing for me. So you, you say at the start of the magazine that this one was six years um, in the making. So I, I guess, you know, really the, the amount of time that you've been there in the city I mean, you've been talking about plans for issue two already. The, have you got an idea of when we're going to see that? Um, you know, it's something I really want to. I want to work on. It's something I really want to start. I've been creating some some kind of map and infrastructure for what the content will look like, how the you know tone of the magazine will shift slightly, just you know based on the last seven months of what's been happening in the world. Mm. And um, you know, it's crazy. We we threw the launch party. Uh, we had a launch party in Tokyo in December. And then we had a launch party at the end of January in Portland and it was like 500 people inside of a warehouse space. <laughs> and, and then like, you know, a month later people were starting to quarantine. It was yeah. like, it feels kind of surreal the way that times moved in the last seven months and what we were able to kind of accomplish in January. Um, and that we were able to put this magazine out. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really crazy to think about, but, it's really this this project is really just a labor of love and it's really just something we i was doing outside of my normal client work so you know it was a ton of work Mm. doing those photo shoots you know gathering this like staying up late designing it so it's really it's it's not something we have to do um so there's you know we don't have any commitment to anyone to make another issue Um, we want to make another issue and i want to make one um, it just has to be the right timing. Um, and right now it's, you know, too challenging to be able to do photo shoots and yeah, be in contact with people. And, um, you know, we're definitely, the next issue will definitely be inspired with the state of the world in the last seven months. But um, I think we're, we're kind of, you know, we're not in any rush. I think we're not, you know, we, we're not, we don't have magazine, we don't have advertising, we don't have anyone that we need to, um, you know, any numbers or quotas we need to meet. So mm-hmm. I think it's really like, when is it the right time for us? When do we feel comfortable? When, when do we feel excited about making another issue? I think we, we really want to make sure that we're not just kind of 
making another issue to make another issue, that it's something that we feel like the city needs um, or that we need creatively as well. Uh, but we definitely have a lot of ideas, and I think I talked about that a little bit earlier. I, there's going to be a more of a focus on the writing and kind of reaching out of our network to kind of get some some people who are really knowledgeable about their subjects, um, some more academics, and just some some more unexpected kind of people. I think that's really the goal is to kind of create this um, magazine environment that we haven't really seen that kind of um, you know has a food cart owner next to uh, a chair of a program at a university next to a scientist next to you know a small business owner like i think that's that juxtaposition is really important to me because it's how i live my life yeah and uh, we want to continue to kind of um to play with that well listen i i love this first one and um i would love to see that second one as and when you're ready to make it Okay, that's all for this week. I'm sorry about all my coughing towards the end. Uh, I was recording the episode up in my loft, as usual these days, and I'd been moving a lot of dusty boxes and magazines around before we started speaking, which I've now learned is a bad idea uh, to do something like that right before you start recording a podcast. Um, I had to cut around lots of other coughing, so I'd like to thank Bijan again for making the time to speak and also for putting up with me uh, seeming like I was coming down with coronavirus right before his eyes. Um, as you can probably tell I really like this magazine so do go and check it out if you've not seen it already at stackmagazines.com forward slash shop the school holidays have started here in London which means I'm going to be away for a few days now so I'm not 100% sure I'll be able to put out an episode next week but I am definitely planning on getting one or two more done before we take our proper summer break in August Uh, so watch out for those coming and of course if you follow us wherever you get your podcasts we'll be able to deliver our episodes straight to you as soon as they're ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode in the next couple of weeks.